You're listening to Pastor Mike Greiner of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, First, Determined to be a Good Cinder Block, recorded on Sunday, May 15th, 2016. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Mike as he preaches. As we begin, I guess the uh, third part of a four-part series on increasing the health and size of God's church everywhere, where we're really looking at the pragmatic stuff. Um, to, be, uh, to, to be a healthy church, you have to do things. You have to pray, you have to evangelize, you have to be a disciple, and, you, and stewardship, those are the four areas. They're very pragmatic, pra- they're practical, it's, it's what you do. But as we start on discipleship and three messages on that, it's really a bait and switch because every message should be on discipleship, on what it means to be a disciple of Christ. In fact, the word disciple probably could replace the word Christian. To say that even more strongly, the word Christian is not necessary. No one ever needs to be called a Christian. Jesus never called anyone a Christian. None of the apostles called people Christians. The the name came in Antioch where other people who weren't Christians began calling the believers Christians. And Christian can be such a passive thing, can't it? Anyone can say they're a Christian, something you can be. It's really hard to be a passive disciple. I think disciple's a better word. No, I'm not going to try to change the language of the the nation. We can still be called Christians, but I like disciple better. But before we get into being a disciple, lest we think it's something that we do completely on our own power, let's remember that being a disciple is an issue of the cross. It's an issue of death. To be a disciple of Christ, a Christian, is to have something mystical happen. And by mystical, I don't mean like magic, but beyond your ability to understand, but it really did happen by the work of God. And that mystical thing that happened, according to the scriptures, which do not lie, is that when Jesus died on a cross, you who have come to believe in him died also. You died That's what the Bible says happened to you. We must do away with the fiction that gets into our mind this wrong story that what God does is he takes sinners and he trains them not to sin, that he cleans them up so that they can begin to behave better. So little by little as time goes on, they're they're improving themselves. So when they're done, they're going to be as clean as ever. That is not God's plan for sinners. He does not clean them up. His plan for you as a sinner, in your old nature, in your ways, when he woke you up, was not to clean you up. His plan was to execute you. That's what he does with the guilty, is to kill you. You have died, the scripture says, and your life is hidden with Christ. to, to, To become a believer, a follower of Jesus, is to say, I am dead. And that that and somehow, and I'm saying this is mystical. I'm not saying this is symbolic or metaphorical. I'm saying it's actual. It really happened. That's why it's mystical. Because the scripture says it really happened. Somehow, in the spiritual realm, in a way we cannot understand, your old nature died with Christ. But 
You didn't have to bear the pain of it. He did. That's why he's a substitute for us. He went to the cross as the only holy man and died. And when he died, you died. And discipleship is always going to be there. It never leaves that spot of your death. So no matter where we go for the rest of this series or any series, let us stay on the cross where we belong. But with the life of Christ in us. And by the way, I am giving you a summary statement. I know I'm not giving you a lot of texts, but I'm so confident in this concept that it'll come out all over the place if you look for it. Christ in you, Colossians says, the hope of glory. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but it's not I. It's Christ who lives in me. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Not only are we saved from our sin, but we're saved from our sinner. <laughs> and we have the life of Christ. So let's jump, jump into the content today. As We exist to increase the health and size of God's church everywhere. So let's take a very logical approach to that. In order to be a healthy church, you have to have healthy parts. Right? Makes sense. If the church is a body, and that is a metaphor in the Bible of the church, and it is a metaphor. We're not really a body. But if, you, if the church is a human body, in order for a, a body to be healthy, it has to have healthy parts. Don't believe me? If one of you goes to your doctor and, says, and you say, he says, you're healthy. Good. I'm healthy. Everything's feeling good. You leave. You're healthy. Okay. You're healthy. Then somebody comes up and whacks off one of your fingers. It's gone, and you start to scream and cry and ow, and, and you're in a lot of pain, so you run back to the doctor. Is he going to say you're healthy? No. Well, why? You only lost one finger. The other fingers are feeling pretty good. Your nose has no problem at all. Doggone it, your liver's awesome. <laughs> Just that one part, you're not healthy. Then somebody, you got a lot of enemies, throws a brick on your toe, breaks your foot. Now you're really in pain. It didn't even do the kindness of cutting it off. It really, really hurts. You go back to the doctor, he's like, well, you got two problems. And then he looks a little closer, and you got a bad tooth. And then, hey, that's not all. I was right about your liver. I was wrong about your heart. It's a mess. Well, you could have four parts. And now you, what would you say? I'm really a sick person. It's only four parts. You've got hundreds of parts. Just to push that metaphor, if the church is a body, then it needs healthy parts. In Ephesians, Paul uses this metaphor. And, say, and by the way, normally we sit in one passage and, and, and try to learn that. We're going to be in a several today, but so I'll be jumping a bit, but uh, we're going to start in Ephesians 4, 15, where, where he says this, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. Jesus is the head. This is a metaphorical picture of a body. Jesus is the head into Christ. Now watch this, from whom the whole body joined and held together by what? Every joint. He's the head. He's not every joint. The whole body is held together by every joint. Not just one joint, all the joints. Guess what you are? You're a joint. There are joints up in this joint. And don't smoke a joint. It's not a good thing while we're on this joint. But you are a joint from which it is equipped you're holding the body together, unless you're broken. When each part is working properly, you're a part. You have to work properly to give health to the body. 
When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Christ is the head. The body's held together by joints and parts that work properly. That is supposed to be you. Now, there is no perfectly healthy body before the resurrection. Then there will be. There's something wrong with you. You don't even know it. Might not be a big deal. Probably isn't, so don't get scared. But it might be. Perfect health is coming. Same with the church. You're not going to find the perfectly healthy church but until the resurrection. But there can be relative health, and the health often depends on how you care for your body. It definitely cares for how you care for your church. But the one part you have the most control over is the one that wakes up in your bed every day. And there is a need, before we get into making disciples, two sermons from now, we need to think about personal responsibility for the part that you are. Because as I was looking at the New Testament, most, there are calls to make disciples and train disciples and teach disciples, but most of the time the Bible itself is aimed at you and me saying, make yourself one. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You know, it keeps calling me to personally do something, commit something, be something. And that's where we got to start. And this is, we need to be especially loud on this in our culture because we live in a culture that's increasingly telling you that someone else needs to do something for you. We're a very therapeutic culture. If someone doesn't do something for you, you won't be healthy in your mind or your body, your economics, your soul, your government. If someone doesn't do something for you, all the problems are out there happening to you. All the solutions are out there happening to you when someone rescues you. And that is not the way God made you to work. He made you to take responsibility for yourself, including your discipleship. We want properly working parts. Paul's very explicit. Let me, in 1 Corinthians, he says, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And that word member does not mean like membership into a club that is parts you are a part in order to build a healthy church you have to attend to your own walk with christ are you a properly working part you may say no i'm not okay the next question is what are you going to do about it if you're asking me what i'm going to do about it i'm doing it (laughs) my question to you is what are you going to do about it so Paul, uh, let's use another picture. Uh, Peter uses the picture of a stone. As you come to him, he says in 1 Peter 2, as you come to Jesus, Jesus is called a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. So he's the cornerstone. And men say, ah, he's no good. And they throw him out. But you, because you're called to him, say, no, he's the precious one I'm building my life on. And then it says, you yourselves, like living stones are being built up into a spiritual house. You are you were a part a second ago you'd just been downgraded. You're a cinder block. You're a brick. <laughs> In this picture, and all together all of us bricks build up a temple. So you want to be a good brick. I am really I must be a good brick cuz I'm a good blockhead. How about you? Eight stone solid, that's our goal. The health of the church increases as the number of spiritual healthy church members increases. It's that simple. It's not about the budget, it's not about the building, it's not about the programs. It's about the number of healthy church members, right? Right? The number of healthy parts. So how do we increase the number of healthy church members? Um, Okay, I wrote an absolutely terrible sentence that says everything I wanted to say. I did this a couple times this time. I'm trying to highlight my own weaknesses, not on purpose though. (laughs) Ms. Elsner, my sixth grade grammar teacher, would 
she would not be happy with this sentence. But it says what I wanted to say, but I want you to know I'm apologizing beforehand for how it was put together. Had I caught it before, and I would have done better. But you're stuck with me, you're stuck with it, and here we go. Jesus calls the people of his church through our efforts. That's not to say we save people, but he sends us out to do evangelism. He always uses us. He sends people to other countries to talk to orphan kids. He sends you to your neighbor at work, and, and you tell them the gospel. So Jesus calls the people of his church through our efforts, and he makes good bricks, also known as strong body parts or church members, out of those people by means of us teaching one another how to act like him. Acting like Jesus is what it means to be a disciple. And maybe that's why the language disciple is better than the language Christian. Because Christian is so passive sounding. You can just be it. What's a Christian? Someone who believes certain doctrines. What's a Christian? Someone who's a member of a certain church. What's a disciple? Someone who does what his master does. Evangelism is bringing the gospel to lost people, correct? Well, the next step of that is when they respond in faith, what happens to them? They become part of us. You have a brick that doesn't know how to be a brick yet. You have a joint that's not yet a very good joint. What? I mean, it's okay to start. To put it another way, here's my own definition of, of, of discipleship. Evangelizing unbelievers and teaching them to act like Jesus. That's it. It's not very profound. It's not very theological, but I think it's sound. Evangelizing unbelievers and teaching them to act like Jesus. That's how you make properly working parts. Matthew 28, 18 to 20 is the seminal or seed verse, if you will, of, of the church. What are we supposed to do? At the end of the gospel of Matthew, the one thing at the end of Jesus' time on earth before he ascended to heaven that he wanted us to remember that Jesus said were these words. We don't know the last words Jesus said. Acts 1, 8 and 9 gives us some other words. We don't know his exact last words. Most likely they're not written down. I think they were, see ya, kind of said just like that. But I'm not sure. But this is what Matthew did want us to remember. So they're very important words. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Make disciples is the, is the, is the key to the command. And he's telling his apostles, the big 12, which you're not one of. We are, they were disciples and apostles. We're just disciples. He's saying, look, you guys, go make disciples. How do we do that? Well, there's, there's a process first. And, and don't just stick with the Jews. Go to all the peoples. That's new. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's your first step, baptizing them. Baptizing them. Now, that implies, or what's implicit, or what's not said that goes with that, is telling them that Jesus Christ dies for sinners to take away your sin. If you believe on him, if you trust him, you will be saved. It implies evangelism. You might say, well, evangelism is not there. It just says baptizing them. Okay, do you really think that Jesus was said, go out to all the nations, grab a guy, pull him by the hair, or the arm, or just tack him, throw him in the water and hold him down, pull him up and say, there, you're in? No, you're going to baptize first, you evangelize. That's the first step of making a disciple is the evangelism. It never stops being important that we share the word. Now, baptism is also important. It is a symbol of new life. Baptism, um, when you're baptized, 
That water does not wash away your sin. But it is a very important symbol, and everyone who believes in Christ should be baptized. Right? And the symbol's meaning, there is the picture of washing, but really the, the, the New Testament pulls out a different main meaning, and that is death. That water is your grave. You, the sinner, when you go, just think, when you break the surface of the water, you just went into your dirt nap. You're dead. Because God's solution for you as a sinner was not to reform you, it was to kill you. And you say, well, did he kill me? He killed his son on the cross, and somehow, mystically, you were there when you believe. So yeah, you're dead. Your old nature is dead. You're no longer in charge of yourself. But when you come up, it's... Just like that's identifying with Christ on the cross, you're coming out of the grave with him. That's the whole picture. New life. His life in you. And that's why if you're a believer and you have not been baptized, you should be baptized. Now you may be like me, who was baptized as a baby. I'm going to tell you, that doesn't count. It just doesn't count. It's not a biblical idea. You should baptize believers. Actually, I was, I was baptized a Catholic as a baby. They actually call it christened, which brings to my mind, you know, taking me as a baby and smashing me on the bow of a ship and sending it off or <laughs> christening <laughs> or maybe taking a champagne bottle and breaking it over my head. I don't know. I don't remember it. I, I'm even taking it on faith that it really happened. That's not baptizing me. Baptizing me is when I say, yes, I agree. I'm dead with Christ. I'm alive with Christ. So if you haven't been baptized, you're in the right place. Mark your connect cards. Let's get this done. But in any case, after you've baptized people, what's next? Well, the text says, what's next? After you've baptized them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, why three? Because we have one God, three persons. There's no doubt Jesus is Man, there's also no doubt he is God, as is the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all I commanded you. Observing all that you've been commanded. By observing, he doesn't mean watch other people do it. It's observing in the sense, see to it that you are careful to do the things commanded. And you might think, well, that sounds like a bunch of rules. It's not for this sermon today, but I'll give you the Cliff Notes version His great command is found in John 13 and 14 and 15. It's you shall love one another as I have loved you. That's what you're going to end up being careful to observe. But nevertheless, it's this picture of the teacher. uh, Now that you're baptized, here's your teacher. Do what he does. Do what he does. And that's what Jesus told the apostles. Teach them to observe what I commanded you. You might say, well, the apostles are all in heaven now. No one has to do it. He said, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And the apostles would pass the baton. We see it in the New Testament. So this is to go on all the way to the end of the age, which we're not at yet. So, another sentence that Miss Elsner would be a little dejected by. What did Jesus teach his apostles to do? Figure that out, and then teach people to do those things. And you'll be making disciples who are healthy, and you'll get a healthy church. Our task is simple. All the things we do programmatically are really negotiable. VBS, teaching kids on Sunday morning, the way we do music, 
I mean, there are some things we gather and we should worship with the word. We should worship with communion. We should worship with prayer. But after that, all these programs and things we come up with, they're all negotiable. They can all come or go. It doesn't matter. The goal is to find lost people, evangelize them, and teach them to act like Jesus. That's our goal. So then, if we're going to make make men and women who do what Jesus did, or in other words, if Jesus said to the apostles, teach them to do what I've shown you, it's good to know what he showed the apostles. So we are going to finish this sermon by starting that question. What is it he told the apostles to do? Let's attend to ourselves first. Start at the beginning. The very first thing he said was accept the invitation to come to Jesus. First thing in logic. I'm not saying it's the first thing he said. The first thing of being a disciple is you have to take the invitation. Matthew 11, 28 to 30, Jesus stood and said, Come to me, all who, are la- who labor and are heavy laden. Has life worn you out? Has the way you've lived your life worn you out? Have other people in your world worn you out? Are you weary and say, I can't fix it. I can't do it. I am shot. I'm out of ideas. Don't tell me how to do it. Don't tell me how to fix my life. I'm done. Jesus talking to you. Come to me. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. There's three invitations in, that, in those verses. One, come to me. Second, take my yoke. Third, learn from me. Step one is come to him. If life has wearied you, take the step. Come to Jesus. If, if you're not a believer, I'm not going to sit here and try to beg you or argue with you why it's so much better than what you have. That could go on forever. Let's just be real. You can go to heaven. You can go to hell. You can know God. You can make yourself God. You're a fool if you go to hell and make yourself God, knowing there's a way to the true God and true joy. So come to Jesus. Don't be a fool. We all need a first day. It's okay if it took you this long to figure it out. It took a lot of us a long time. Some more than others. It's okay. Second, it says, take his yoke. Now, what's a yoke besides the inside of an egg? That, that's Y-O-L-K. This is Y-O-K-E. This is a yoke is a contraption that connects beasts together so that they can combine their labor when doing a job. In other words, they combine their strength when they're pulling something or a burden. It's that big wooden thing you'd put around two oxes. Ms. Elsner wouldn't like that either. <laughs> Oxen. <laughs> Oxen. You put around one ox and you get another ox, put him in there too. <laughs> Because then you have combined strength. The two oxen are going to pull better if they're all both pulling connected to each other. Right? So here's Jesus saying, take my yoke. Now at this point, you may say, wait a minute. Isn't there some irony here? I'm weary. I'm out of breath. I can't do it anymore. I'm weak. Now I got to put on that contraction and work too? Well, he, that's, that, that's a, a strange thing about Jesus he takes the weak, the sinful, the, the rotten, us, and he puts us to work with them. But 
I think it's a kind of work where you can lift your feet and you'll see it still moving forward. There's, you know, you can be the lazy ox. Not kidding. No, that doesn't come out right. Strike, I said that. The point is, he carries the weight. Um, I don't know if this is a good picture, but it's one that comes to mind when I think of this. If you have a little boy and say he's four and you're moving heavy objects with other men, he always wants to be a part of it. He wants to, can I help? And Zig Ziglar once said, um, if you don't let them help when they can't, they won't want to help when they can. So you got to try to let them help. So what do you do? Well, the thing you're carrying is covered by the strong men. Say, come over here. You lift this part. He's straining. But really, he's superfluous. I, I got a feeling that's something of what Jesus is saying when he says, take my yoke upon you. But notice you're connected to him and now you're going where he's going. You're trying to get done what he's trying to get done. The third step, he says, is learn from me. He's a teacher. Where do I find his words? They fill up the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. He's God. The Holy Spirit inspired every word. Jesus, Holy Spirit, Father, one. Learn the words, but watch him when you see him in there. What did he do? You do that. Just try it. Learn from me. That's being a disciple. Hooking up to Jesus and paying attention to him. It's not that hard to figure out mentally. And you might say, well, I'm a little hesitant hooking myself up to someone. I know that's the thing we call faith or trust that saves us, believing that. And that's what he even says, look, I am trustworthy. I am gentle. I won't break you. I know you feel like you're already broken. I'm not going to destroy you. And, and I'm humble. I'm not going to get mad at you. Every time you're less than I am, I'm lowly. So first, you, you take the invitation to follow. Second, you follow wherever he goes. And this will be our last point today. And then we'll take it up next week here because we're not done at attending to ourselves. And then the week after that, we'll talk about making other disciples once we've taken care of our own business. Second is follow him wherever he goes. Follow him wherever he goes. Discipleship can be summed up in the word follow. In Harvest, at the Catanning campus, there's a VBS. Um, the campus pastor, uh, Dave, is going to do a hashtag follow for the middle schoolers. Well, we could make the whole church hashtag follow, except for a, I don't really want something as trendy as a hashtag in front of the whole church. But that's what disciples do. It's, you know, some of the deepest stuff you can learn. You didn't even know you were learning it. And it wasn't even taught by God. Because I'm sitting there when I was a kid watching Peter Pan. And they're like, following the leader, the leader. Friday night, I couldn't remember that tune. Someone sang it from the seats. That was so helpful. You just follow them. Look at this command uh, in Matthew eight eighteen. Jesus saw a crowd around him, and he gave orders to go over to the other side. They were uh, on the Galilee, so going to go to the other side. 
And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever we, you go. I bring this up because, okay, let's say you choose to follow. It's good to know where you're going. So this guy's like, I'm with you. I like your teachings. You're the man. So he's one of the guys who seems to be answering the invitation. He says, I'm ready to go. I'll follow wherever you go. Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You really want to follow me? You know, a fox is better off at the end of this day than I'm going to be. He, he knows where to go lay down. You have a bed somewhere where I'm going to end the day. There's no bed. You want to sleep in the dirt? By the way, this is not, Jesus, how you, you close the deal. You got him on the hook. Snag him. Tell him about heaven or something. Tell him about how good it's going to be one day. No, he goes right to this. Follow me. You won't. Have as certain a home on this earth as a bird. So another dude jumps up. He, I guess he thinks he's got something better than that. He'll go anywhere. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Then he got in the boat and away he went. The disciples followed him. Disciple says, where you go, I will follow. And he says, well, where I go, there may not be a bed. Another man, so, so the first man has geographical obligations. I'll follow you, but I can't really leave my hometown. I like it there. It's kind of nice. All my friends are there. My family's there. My children are there. My grandchildren are there. It's kind of my place. Do you see that... There's a weeding out here, and I, and I want to be careful because some people, tormented by the devil and our insecurities, can always wonder if you're really saved. And, when, and I, can't, I can tell you, I've talked to people who struggle with that. I've never met a person who struggled with that a lot, who I wasn't completely convinced they are saved. So I'm not saying this to frighten those people, but I will say this. Is not unusual in the New Testament to show that some people initially are excited about Christ. But then when they start to count the cost, they flame out. Because they never really were His. The Lord knows who are His. And that's a good question for any church. Because there's not a church that gathers, I don't think, of any size. That doesn't have some people who perhaps have never counted the cost. The cost of going to that particular church doesn't seem so high. I sit there, people seem to give me credit for being a Christian, and I go home. And it doesn't really cost me that much. So there's an upping of the ante. Are you ser- do you seriously understand who you're following? A guy who on this earth was a homeless man. <laughs> That's who you're following. Well, the other guy didn't have geographical problems. He had family obligations. I have priorities with my family. Family members can pressure you about your faith, the way you live your faith, whether you're going to obey God. Jesus says, well, if your old man's dying and you're telling me you're not going to follow me because he's dying, I'm going to leave without you. Wow. It's rough. 
And note, these are interchanges are with people who already initially thought they're in this camp. Okay, here's another. Ms. Elsner will hate this one, but I think this is the last one she's going to hate. Following Jesus, no matter what else it means, means at least two things. I would, if Miss Elsner, if you're still alive out there, I would rewrite that. You're right. You should have done better than that. But nevertheless, following Jesus, no matter what else it means, means at least two things. Putting following him before where you live and your own family obligations. You know, I think some people think that it's only missionaries who have to say, God, wherever, whenever. I'm a lower level committed Christian. <laughs> there is no lower level committed Christian. These are, the, notice he says this to new followers. You don't work up to this level of commitment. This is day one commitment. Day one. Anytime, anywhere, anything. That's, that's the way in. Imagine if a man's going to marry a woman. And he hears her make her vow. And this sweet, beautiful, darling woman that he's in love with says, I'm going to work my way up to faithfulness, dear. I vow that one of these days, I mean, I'm starting slow with you. But as time goes on, I think only one man will be enough. He's not staying at that altar. Well, that's, Jesus is, 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 is a bigger commitment than a marriage. Marriage ends in death. This one never ends. He says, right off the bat, I want you to know where I go, will you follow? Yeah, good. The illustration comes to mind as a godfather. I know, I know, that's strange, but there's, there's, there's something you can pull out of any piece of art. So here you got the godfather. This guy comes to him and he says, somebody's abusing a member of my family. Please help. And he says, all these years I know you, you never come to me, you know. You never come to me. Now you need the Godfather. You come to me. You show me no respect. Now you need me. And the dude's like, I'm sorry. He goes, I'm going to help you with your problem. But then he lets him know, if I ever need a favor, you're committing now to make it. And then he let him go. The guy didn't know if he'd ever get called back. That's not exactly following Jesus, but that is the commitment when it comes to family and home. I'm not saying he's going to make you leave your family in your home, but he says to you, we start here. But it's not just that, it's vocation. I won't take as much time on this because I think you're very familiar with texts. If you're not, I'll tell them to you. Um, Jesus went up to Matthew, the guy who wrote uh, the text I've mostly been reading today, and he said, quit your job. Matthew got a good look at him. He heard his teaching. He knew him for a while. And then he comes up to him one day. Jesus passed on from there. He saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. He rose and followed him. He left his job. And of course, you know, Peter and Andrew, the brothers who had the fishing business, they heard him preach when John the Baptist was there. They saw him do some miracles. He did some cool ones with fish. And then he said, leave your fish. Anyone can catch fish. Come be a fisher of men. And they left their nets. They left their job. And not just them. People don't get as much press as them sometimes because they don't have Peter on their side. He's loud. He gets all the noise. But James and John left. The sons of Zebedee. So Zebedee is in business with his kids. And one day Jesus says, boys, quit your job. Follow me. 
Zebedee is, what's, what's he saying? Ah, oh, we, boys, we have bills. Where are you going? <laughs> I think Zebedee's a believer, by the way. I don't know. I don't know. But he comes up a lot in the Bible. James and John are the sons of Zebedee. And remember, the Bible writers know the people they're writing about. And he keeps getting honorable mention. So I think he uh, it would be a believer. But at that moment, he had to be, his entire management force walked out. Because Jesus said, let's go. Look, where you live, with whom you live, and your job. Jesus says, follow me. All those things, you put them on the table right here. I'll let you know which ones I let you keep. And I may change my mind as the years go on for you. Harvest, I had one guy who kept bugging me about how this wasn't organized right and that wasn't organized right. And everything he said was right. It was tearing my heart out. I thought, we're not organized enough. People are falling through the cracks. He was just pestering me and wanted to be involved in this and wanted to be involved in that and everything he was involved in. He did a good job, but he wouldn't leave me alone about, you got to prove this, you got to improve that, you got to improve that. I'm like, has it ever occurred to you that God wants you to do it? So he, he retired early and now he's our executive pastor. You're upset because I'm not doing what you're good at. Have you ever heard that Jesus has said, follow me? He says, I don't want you to be a cop anymore. I'm done presenting the case. Now I am here to call you to be a disciple. Those of you who already in your heart say, that's all I ever want to hear. Just remind me every week, Mike, to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that's all I need out of you. That's what I want to hear. Um, okay, I'm reminding you. But for those who perhaps you know in your heart that you're one of those other folks who's like, I ain't, my job is mine, where I live is mine, who I live with is mine. I don't know if I would follow everywhere you go. I'm calling you to search your heart. What are you going to do? And definitely, if you're not a follower of Christ yet, come on in, the water's fine. The only thing you leave behind are death, sickness, sorrow, pain, and all that guilt for all the sins you've ever done. They were all laid on the body of your Savior, Jesus Christ, on a cross, and you can leave them. You can leave them there. Because you died with Him when you received Christ. You can receive the love of Christ in you. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.